Hi guys, welcome back to the Jeepers Creepers podcast. I am Kenzie. And I'm Kylie. And uh, I, got, I got a good story to start this off with. So this is totally going to expose Kylie. Oh no. So this weekend. Oh no. We went to uh, Feartown, Massachusetts. No, don't expose me. <laughs> we went to Feartown, Massachusetts. And uh, we went to the Extreme Haunt. So... After Halloween and stuff, they have their last weekend. They do one weekend where they do... Two weekends? No, no, no. They do the extreme haunts for one weekend. I thought it was two. No. November In November, they still do the regular one. And then the second weekend in November, they did extreme haunts. But we were originally going to do the first weekend. No, we were originally going to... Oh, the first, my... we thought about the first weekend, yeah. but it would have oh, been regular. the normal one? Okay, okay. The normal okay. one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they do this extreme haunt thing. Uh, where they're allowed to touch you, whatever. It's not they don't. It's not torture. It's not if you've heard of McCamey Manor. It's nothing like that. Uh, they just are allowed to touch you, so it's a, like more supposed to be more engaging. Um, but you are not allowed to touch them. Like that's clearly written in your waiver and stuff. You're not allowed to touch them, and if you do, you will get kicked off the property or whatever they said when we got there. So we got there. Our time was for ten o'clock. We got there at like nine forty-five. Uh, we waited in line a really long time. They give you the spiel. Uh, it was fucking freezing. It was so cold. It was so cold. They had, we were supposed to go Friday and they had canceled it. We went on a Saturday because they, they said Friday was too cold, but in they reality, said, yeah, cause of freezing temperatures, it was colder Saturday, Saturday for sure. And we all had to wait in line. So like, even though you had like a 10 o'clock time, like you would have to wait. Didn't our start at 11? Like we were, yeah, we, we didn't even get in there until yeah. way after 10. So we went in, we went in with a fun group of people. Mm-hmm. It was me, Kylie, my sister, and then we get put in with random people, but they were actually great people. Yeah, yeah. So it was fun to be with them and stuff. But the first thing that happens when we go in is, <laughs> um, I don't remember why if I said something or whatever, because I'm definitely to, like, it, yeah, very antagonistic everyone. in those things. And uh, the first thing that happened was a guy grabbed me. And just like took me and he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't doing anything too scary or anything. He literally like just pushed me up against the wall and was like, where are you from? Like, like ask me all these questions, but it wasn't, it wasn't very scary or anything. And I didn't feel scared, but. Okay. Well, first of all, on the website, it says, be prepared to experience, what was it? Graphic and intense situations, claustrophobic situations, psychological stress. So all this stuff. So I'm. Uh, like I'm a wimp. I was already scared. I was planning on wearing wearing a diaper because I, knew I was gonna pee my pants. Like I was already scared going into this. And then the first thing, like I think it was maybe five seconds in, you just get pulled away from me. And yeah. I was like, ah, shit, she's gonna get tortured. Yeah. So so they pulled me away, and basically all he did was kind of take me through a shortcut to where. We our group wasn't going to end up anyway. So he just pulled me aside. They were going to meet up with me. Obviously, we didn't know that or anything. No. Nope. Um, but I, he didn't put me in any claustrophobic area or anything like that. I'm just chilling there. And he's just trying to be creepy, being like, oh, where are you from? Like, what's your name? Like, Kylie <laughs> catches up to, to where we're at and runs up on this dude, no. hands on him. <laughs> she didn't push him or anything, but hands on him and was like, don't touch her. And I literally thought we were going to get kicked out. She was like, do not touch my fiance. Like, I think I blacked out in that moment because I, I don't, and I'm not an aggressive person. No, not ever. at all. Like literally the opposite. Yep. But in that moment, I think I was so scared. I was freezing. 
And then I saw her and she was like, it wasn't like a scary situation, but she was pushed up against a fence and I could barely like see her. I just saw a man pushing her up against a fence and I was like, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, yeah. Kylie says she doesn't even remember touching him, but I clearly recall her hands on I'm him. I'm pretty sure I blocked it out. And Stevie, my sister, said the same thing. She was like, I thought we were going to get kicked <laughs> out right away. Like, because that's the one thing that they emphasized was like, the Don't actors touch will touch anyone. you. They won't hurt you or anything. Do not touch them back. And that within two minutes, Kylie was running up on some dude like don't. The second I like came back to reality, because the guy like just turned around and was just like, "Hey," like talking creepy to me. Like he literally didn't even say a thing. Like he just yeah. started asking the same creepy questions to me. And the second like he spoke, I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, the, you, the guy was really great though, because the actor dude could have totally been like, "Get out!" Like yeah, you yeah. can't touch people like that. Get out. And instead, he was just like, I'm going to be creepy well, with you, too. Well, I also didn't... I'm pretty sure I didn't, like, grab him. No, grab you didn't him. grab like, him. You just sure had just hands like, on yeah. him. You were just like, don't touch her. And, like, put your but hands on him. But you're making it sound like I went up and, like, shook him. <laughs> no, no, no. You... It was... When I say run up on him, I don't mean run up and, like, attacked him. I ran. I mean, ran up to his face and was just like, don't touch him. <laughs> but, yeah, so... My bad, my bad. <laughs> yeah. And then it was... It was so fucking cold. I um, oh, I had to almost leave in the middle of it. Like, yeah, was, because it was so cold. And luckily we were with, I mean, luckily, I would say luckily, Kylie would say unluckily. Yeah. Uh, we happened to be with two people that were wearing GoPros that worked there. So they knew the the route yeah. and they told Kylie, they were like, no, nah, don't dip out now. Like, they like, it gets really good. It's they were like, done. they were like, it's almost over, like whatever. So Kylie was like, fine, I'll like stick through it. Yeah. That was unlucky for me. I was getting, cause you dizzy. wanted to peace out was, and then you felt yeah, because like I you couldn't. Getting, yeah. yeah. I was like dizzy. I was getting my weird numbness, like yeah. not just like a normal cold numbness. Like yeah. I was like, I'm going to pass out. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it wasn't that scary. So if you're in the area and ever want to do it, like it's, I, I, I'm, we didn't go to the haunted house thing, the regular one, which I've heard is actually really scary, Yeah, I've heard it's really but scary. this extreme thing that they're allowed to touch you was not that scary. The scariest thing that I experienced while I was there was there was one point where they took me away from the group. This was a different time. They took mm. me away from the group and they locked me in a coffin. Yeah. And the only reason I don't, I don't, wouldn't say I'm necessarily very claustrophobic, but the only reason that I started to like low key panic is because I, like I said, I wouldn't say I'm claustrophobic, but the coffin was so shallow that when they shut it, it was touch like the top yeah, of it, it was, was touching right my there. face. Like I could not move at all in it. And then I wasn't sure what I was supposed to, I was like, am I supposed to try to get out? Am I supposed to like, whatever. And you didn't and know when they were going to get you yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. I had no clue what was going on. I couldn't hear anything. So like at one point I went to lift it and they like shut it back on me. Like yeah, wouldn't let me get out. out. And I was like, okay, so I'm not supposed to do that. But it, Eventually, what they did was they did, I could hear them do this whole spiel where they're like, "Yo, you have to go find your friends," like, and because they had taken me and another girl, and so I guess that was like the only freaky part. Uh, the only time I was scared, which wasn't that scary, but immediately the first thing they did when you entered it is they made you like stand up against a wall, and they were like everyone up against the wall, like faces towards the wall, and all that. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm in for right now because <laughs> yeah. I thought we were staying in like that room, and I was like. They said it's not torture, but like... <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but other than that, I think it was more... It was fun, but it was like... The actors, I think, they were having more fun with it too. So like, yeah. you were having actual conversations with them too because it was going kind of slowly. So you would get there stuck were so just many like kind people of standing there, yeah. in an area and they that would be like, talking to you. And at that point, you're like, well, I'm not scared anymore because I'm talking to you. Yeah, we had to like wait in line for the next room at some points yeah. because they just like weren't moving fast enough. 
Yeah, but besides, I mean, it, it was fun. I I, I would have enjoyed it a lot more if it wasn't so cold. Like, you know what I mean? I was that I was like literally fear because I was so cold. yeah. It's not even that it wasn't totally scary because there no. were parts where I was like, ooh, like you got me. Like, but I think I would have been a lot more. It was scared just if so it cold. Wasn't cold. Yeah. My main goal was I was just like, get out of it. <laughs> they, like, did, the they did white blood all over my face. It stained her face. The next morning yeah. she woke up, she was like, oh, I'm pink. <laughs> yeah, it was pink. I don't know what it was, but it was like fake blood all over my face. And yeah. I didn't even like notice you did, at first. Yeah. I, some girl grabbed my face and I was like, okay, like whatever. And then I was like, why is my face wet? <laughs> yeah, so then it was covered in fake blood. But I, besides that, there was one part where this pissed me off. I didn't think it was scary. Pissed me off. They sprayed me with water all like literally maybe like 30 times on like a spray bottle with like the jet stream setting. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And not like they did it to Kylie too. And it just hurt Kylie because it got straight. I only got one stream, but it was like the jet stream. So it went straight into my eye and I was like, I'm blind. (laughs) Yeah. But it pissed me off because they did it to me like 30 times. Yeah. And I don't care if it wasn't so fucking cold outside. And then I was soaked. And it was so cold. Yeah, that's not fun. Well, like, besides that, I really think it would have been a way more enjoyable experience if it wasn't freezing. And obviously, they can't control that. Yes. But still. I agree. Anyway, so I thought that was funny because Kylie's the least confrontational person on the planet. I have never just, confronted, like, like, I do yeah. not ever do that stuff. Yep. Ever. It was hot. Nope. <laughs> nope. It wasn't me. My... I, I just have a different personality and it took over. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah, totally. Yep. <laughs> that's so, what I'm going with. Uh, this actually is the next episode following our Halloween episode. Yes. So I was like, ah, oh, what can we do like following Halloween? So I was thinking about candy. after, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about <laughs> Halloween, trick or treating, you get candy. What has to do with candy? Candy man. What has to do with candy? A candy man. Candy man. <laughs> so this week we're going to cover candy man. Yep. You ready to party? I'm ready to party. Let's do it. All right. So Candyman was released on October 16th, 1992. It was written and directed by Bernard Bernie Rose. The film follows a graduate student, Helen Lyle, in Chicago, completing a thesis on urban legends, which sounds fucking dope. And I I would love that. Would love to do that if there was any money in it. I'm just kidding. You can do whatever you want, but dropping out of nursing school (laughs) and doing that. Uh, so she stumbles across the tale of Candyman, uh, the typical look in the mirror, say his name five times kind of thing. Bloody Mary. Yeah, it's a, it's like a he. It's a it's a twist it's a, on the Bloody Mary. Yeah, it's a totally yeah. a twist on Bloody Mary and that stupid hook hand guy. Candyman in the movie has a he has yeah, a yeah no hook I know but I don't hand. know what <laughs> uh, you never heard that okay so the story goes that like two teenagers are making out in a car, and they had heard on the radio about a killer with a hook hand. And um, they keep hearing this weird noise. So the boyfriend gets out and is like, I'll go check it out. And then it's been a really long time. And she's like, I haven't. (laughs) Okay, Banshee. Um, She's like, I haven't heard him or seen him or whatever. So she gets out and her boyfriend is like hanging from a tree above the car. And like there was like a hook left to be like, Oh, like I was here or something. I don't remember the exact details, okay. but like, it was one of those, like, yeah. Like a stupid, scary, stupid, story scary stories that you heard. Fire, yeah. yeah. So it's like a mix between bloody Mary and that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, her thesis focuses on how the residents of the low income area that she's at used the, the Candyman legend to cope with hardships of living there. Mm-hmm. Background on Candyman in the movie. 
Uh, Candyman supposedly was the son of a slave who became prosperous after inventing a system to mass-produce shoes during the Civil War. He became a renowned artist, known particularly for his portraits, which kind of comes into play in the Candyman sequels. Mm -hmm. He fell in love with a white woman, big no-no back then. Big no-no. And he was commissioned to paint her in 1890, and then the two had children together. Mm -hmm. But her father was very unhappy with this because in 1890, they were racist as shit. Still are. you called him out anyway so her father was super unhappy with the relationship and he ended up sending out a lynch mob after who's now known as the candy man uh the mob actually severed his painting hand and replaced it with a hook that's why he has a hook which i think is kind of a dumb reason to have a hook why would they replace it with a hook let me know i mean 1800s yeah but why a hook like you think they would just (laughs) sever it like why put a hook there um like helpful well, he killed him anyway, so they, they then smeared him with honey to attract bees, yep. who ultimately stung him to death. Yeah. So I have no clue what the... I, just, just makes it more know, interesting. aesthetically pleasing. You're going to learn very quickly that I don't give a shit about this movie. I, I, so many people love this movie, and I hate this movie. I think it's so stupid. But it's a classic. We're going to cover it. And there's some interesting things about... Uh, like, some interesting facts about the movie. So, unfortunately for Helen, the Candyman legend is all too real, and she states his name five times in a, in a mirror because she's like, haha, real funny, definitely not real, and the Candyman shows up and is like, you're coming with me now. going to be you one day. Just does it in a mirror. I don't, hey, that's the I thing. I know you don't fuck with that, but you're like, I'm say, not scared. <laughs> I'm not scared, but I don't fuck with things on purpose. Like, I'm not going to put myself in a position to be haunted. Not to be haunted, true. If you saw her in this haunted house, though, she was putting herself in a position to be taken anywhere. I was pissed when they took somebody else and not me. I know. She was, like, walking up to him. If someone was talking, she was like, me! And just, me. like, would verbally because attack Because the them. most fun I had was when they took me and, like, did something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, otherwise you're just walking through the place. She kept like, being like, I'm not scared. Take me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I did not feel an ounce of fear that entire time. Yeah. I'm more scared in the ones where they jump out at you and stuff. Yeah, me too. I'm much more jumpy than psychological fear, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the movie was trash. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry, tons of people will disagree with me on that, and that's totally fine. Uh, but the plot had a lot of potential. The movie had a budget of $9 million and it grossed over $25 million. Um, So it actually did fairly yeah, well, well for the time. The film holds a 74% critic approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. Yeah. But if you do agree with me that it is a shit movie, ne'er you fret, Jordan Peele is remaking the film. I know. To be released in 2020. Which, like, he do- everything he does is Everything amazing. he does so is perfect. It's just gonna be it, It'll be perfect. So, like I said, the idea was great, but the movie was not. I don't feel bad saying it, but there were a lot of fun facts for this shitty movie. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> so bad. So, Tony Todd, who played the Candyman, was stung by bees 23 times during filming. No! But it could have been way worse. So what they actually had done was they bred the bees specifically for the film to be only 12 hours old so that they would appear to be mature bees but wouldn't really have, like, powerful stingers. Powerful? They still could have stingers, though. Yeah, so he said he had a really, really good lawyer and he ended up getting paid a $1,000 bonus for each sting. Oh, I would extra just dollars. walk into the bee. Yeah. <laughs> sting me. Take me. Take me. Uh, so 
Virginia Madsen, who plays Helen, uh, almost turned down the role because she herself was allergic to bees. That would be a good reason to turn down the role. And if you've seen the movie, There's you're like, bees. what do you mean she was allergic to bees? They're all over her. Yeah. So this is what she said about it. So she said, quote, when Bernie was first asking me to do the role, I said, well, I can't. I'm allergic to bees. And he said, no, you're not allergic to bees. You're just afraid. So I had to go to UCLA and get tested because he didn't believe me. I was tested for every kind of venom. I was far more allergic to wasps. So he said, we'll just have paramedics there. It'll be fine. That's not you know, actors, we'll do everything for anything for a paycheck. So fine, I'll be covered with bees. So we had a bee wrangler and he pretty much told us you can't freak out around the bees or be nervous or swat at them. It would just aggravate them. How do you not be nervous if you know you're allergic to bees? And you're like being swarmed with bees. <laughs> I don't. I would be nervous, and I'm not. I'm, and I'm actually, not, I'm I could. Not, yeah, I don't, I've never been. I'm so, not allergic. But assuming I'm not allergic, I would still be terrified. Um, continuing quote. So they use baby bees on me. They can still sting you, but are less likely. When they put the bees on me, it was crazy because they have fur. They felt like little Q-tips roaming around on me. That's a very specific they, description. <laughs> then you have pheromones on you, so they're all in love with you and think you're a giant queen. Oh my god. I really just had to go into this zen sort of place, and the takes were very short. What took the longest was getting the bees off of us. They had this tiny bee vacuum, which wouldn't harm the bees. After the scene where the bees were all over my face and my head, it took both Tony and I 45 minutes just Holy to get the shit. bees off. That's when it became difficult to sit still. It was cool, though. I felt like a total badass doing it. End quote. She is a total badass. Uh, my favorite part of this is the tiny bee vacuum. I know. I want one. <laughs> and they're all in love with you. They think you're a giant queen. <laughs> but imagine just walking around with a little tiny bee vacuum. I know. This is just like a bunch of little bees. <laughs> little baby bees. And had she not done it, which I thought was a very interesting fact, it was likely that the part of Helen would have gone to the then undiscovered Sandra Bullock. What? Yeah. That's weird. Which would have been super, super weird. I can't picture Maybe, Sandra Bullock I mean, doing that. I mean, if it was one of her... I can't picture her now because I know what she does. But if she didn't already kind yeah, of have yeah, that maybe. set. It's like Jennifer Aniston's first movie was Leprechaun. Exactly. Which yeah. is so funny. We'll have to do that at some yeah. point. Um, I love those movies. Similarly, they were also hoping to have Eddie Murphy play <laughs> Candyman. But he was too high in expense and um, he was too short. To be oh, an intimidating yeah. figure. Yeah. So I think that would have been even more weird than Sandra Bullock. Yeah, that definitely would have Playing been. Helen Lyle, but yeah, super odd. Another fun fact, Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd, so Helen and the Candyman, took ballroom dancing together so that the two would have more of a romantic connection between them. Oh. Madsen also claimed she was hypnotized during the film to appear to be under the Candyman's spell. She became uncomfortable with this technique and refused to continue it after shooting just a few scenes that way. So if you watch if you watch the film, there are times where he starts calling to her and she just kind of like goes into like a trance state and is like responding to him like without being like holy shit the candy man's here like you know what I mean yeah but I, supposedly it, she claims that they did hypnosis to do those scenes. Well, I mean that's strange to me because if you're hiring actors and actresses, the whole point of an actor is to be able to act like you should be able to act hypnotized. You shouldn't have to actually be hypnotized. You know, like yeah. I know it makes it more real, but if you're a really good actor or actress, you should be able to pull that off. Yeah. So they, I, I guess she got really uncomfortable with it. I would be was too. like, this is freaking me out. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. So they were like, fine, whatever. Another thing I, I don't really want to get into because I don't want to talk politics on a horror film podcast, <laughs> but the, the film had a lot of really 
touchy racial concepts. Mm. Um, and a lot of people of color were upset with its portrayal of black people as a whole in the film. No. Banshee's no. also upset about it. <laughs> Banshee said bad. <laughs> so, so that was a whole thing. And I, I feel like that needs to be mentioned when I'm talking about the making of this film. Cause that was it's a large part of it. Yeah. That was a yeah. big critique when it came out was like, people were very upset about the way they portrayed certain things. It's a large part of my section too. Oh, cool. I don't go deep into it. For yeah. The same cool. reasoning. But... I didn't, I didn't really go deep. Yeah. I thought it would be cool to talk about where the name Candyman came from. Mm. So, the Candyman. Dean Coral was born in 1939. He lived in a combative household growing up until his parents separated. He moved with his mother and younger brother to Texas, where his mother remarried, and a part-time business making candy became the family's livelihood. Mm. Coral brought candy constantly to others in hopes of making new friends until he was drafted into the military in 1964. Around the time he turned 30, he began hanging out with teenage boys. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Such as David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. He would pass out free candy to, like, lure younger children, I suppose, or, like, teenage children. He would host huffing parties. No. For them. No. And, and like, alcohol parties. He would, like, get them alcohol Alcohol and shit. Alcohol parties. Alcohol. I don't... You know what I'm saying. (laughs) Do you think doing alcohol is cool? (laughs) Anyway. um, And clearly became very interested in sexual relationships with young men. So not only was he a complete pedophile, but he was, like, a homosexual pedophile. Yep. Which are two separate things. Two separate things. Two separate things. Homosexuals are not pedophiles. (laughs) We can attest. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Um, so once in 1970, Brooks, which is one of the teenage boys, had walked in on Coral in his apartment with two naked boys strapped to a homemade torture rack. No. No. So you'd think he'd be like, what the fuck, dude? Like, this is not cool. Well, Coral let the boys go. So Brooks was like, oh, okay. All right. You're forgiven. And then he was like, you know what? Here's a car. Don't tell anyone. And Brooks was like, yo, thanks. Cool. I never told anybody. I don't know how surprised I am at that. Because part of me is like, yeah, teenage boy wants a car, wants a car. Yeah, well, you know? not only did he just say, "Oh, cool, thanks for the car." Following that event, Brooks and Henley, this is the other teenage boy, became Coral's procurers of young men. No, receiving two hundred dollars each per victim that nope. they brought to nope. Dean Coral. You're fucked up too. Yep. Nope. Yeah, I felt bad for you. I do not feel bad anymore. And they'd bring them... Although, I do feel bad because they were definitely, like... Uh, teenage boys, but... Yeah. Well, also, yeah, I mean, they were abused by him, too, basically. So what they would do is they would bring, like... They'd find someone and, like, bring them to, like, one of these parties, quote-unquote. Um, even if there was no party. Oh, You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so Coral's first victim that we know of was Jeffrey Conan... He had picked him up while hitchhiking in the mid-1970s. We know this due to the two teenagers. He drew most of his victims from a Houston neighborhood known as the Heights. And it also wasn't unlikely for Coral to kill two victims at once. So often the boys would each bring somebody and he would be like, all right, I'm going to torture them both right here, right now. That we know of, he had a total of 27 victims who he molested and slaughtered ranging from very young teenagers to men in their 20s. Oh, my God. 
On August 8, 1973, Henley had brought a 15-year-old girl to one of the house parties that the men used to lure their victim victims. And Coral, being a homosexual and also a pedophile, <laughs> was pissed. Oh, no. And after the group had passed out, they'd been drinking whatever they had passed out. Alcohol parties. Alcohol parties. Um, he had tied Henley, the girl, and another friend, Timothy Curley, up. Um, Henley came to, and he begged Coral not to kill him. And he even, so this kid's fucked up. He yeah. even offered to rape and kill the girl that he had Jesus brought to the party. Christ. However, and Coral was like, yeah, do it. And then so killed him, though? When, no, when okay. Henley couldn't get it up because he was like clearly um, not into yeah, raping exactly. a girl, Coral began to make fun of him. Oh, my God. Like repeatedly. And I don't know where it came from. I tried to figure this out. But Henley, at the time, sick of being made fun of. Picked up a 22 caliber pistol and shot Dean Coral dead. Holy shit. And then immediately called the cops and confessed everything. Good. So the media. One good thing you did. Yep. So the media quickly picked up the serial killer's story, and due to the Coral's candy factory and the fact that he used candy to like yeah. lure kids, or whatever, yeah. he quickly was dubbed the Candy Man. His mother also stated, so his mother's not even backing him, believes that there were plenty of other victims and that she thinks some are buried under the candy factory she think how long has she thought that i don't know i don't know and if she She said that after the fact i don't know that quick to just like believe everything they're saying then you had a suspicion that your son was fucked up in some way why didn't you do anything about it yeah, I don't know, dude, but that's what she said. She thinks that there's some bur- buried under the candy factory. I'm going to guess that there aren't, because I'm sure they would have looked into that by now. Yeah, You yeah, know what definitely. I mean? Unless it's somebody else's property or something like that, but and still. they won't let anybody. But obviously, Dean Coral died, so he didn't. there was no justice served there. Henley was sentenced to 99 years per murder conviction and wrapped up six. So they were able to prove he was involved in six of them, Yeah, 99 years for six, obviously he's going yeah. to life in jail. And then Brooks was just straight up sentenced to life imprisonment. Yeah. It's like, obviously those two are fucked up too to do it. But at the same time, what do you know how old they were? They the were teenage boys? Right? I teenage- know they were okay. teenagers. Because at that point, like, Dean was obviously grooming them. So it's oh, yeah. that whole situation of like, yes, you're doing fucked up stuff, but you are also fucked up from somebody else. Like, it's it's so complicated, but... He's like, Not you saw okay. that? That was cool. That was cool. I'll give you a car if you just yeah. just be a part of it. Yeah. Like, it's all good. You know? Which, like, that. Which, like, grooming kids from a young age. Exactly. Yeah, so, pretty fucked up. Pretty fucked up, dude. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> so, that's the candy man. That's all I got. Alright. Where we at? What you got for me? Alright, so, candy man. The movie was based on Clive Barker's 1985 short story called The Forbidden. And it's one of the short stories in the fifth volume of the Books of Blood anthology, which was converted into a U.S. version titled In the Flesh. Sounds dope. I know. I want to read it. I started <laughs> yeah, reading The Forbidden. Really cool. They're short. Like, this was, uh, I think it was 120 pages. Like, Ooh. they're pretty short. We could, I could read them to you at night. Please. Okay. I mean, I think you buy them, but let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie does follow the plot of the book pretty well, but there are a few differences, which I'm going to go into. The Candyman in The Forbidden was actually a very pale white guy with long blonde hair who wears an over-the-top brightly colored patchwork outfit. 
and obviously in the movie he's not white <laughs> yeah yeah and, <laughs> and he's the son of a slave hair. and like yeah exactly and this was probably because the short story was set in an inner city housing estate in england and the movie was set in chicago and the book barely went into Candyman's background, but the movie did, as you said. Like he, what he was a slave in North America, and so mm. obviously it's different than the book because Candyman is a white British dude, and then clearly is not. Yeah, a slave they like in North America played on that that racial tension. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was like a big part of what they decided to do in the movie. Yeah, the um real life story I go into is really really strong on the racial tensions. I'd say love it. <laughs> Um, another, Smack me with it. <laughs> another difference is that in the book, Anne Marie had one child named Carrie who was killed by Candyman, slit by uh, who was killed by Candyman who slit his throat and then placed him in the bonfire. In the movie, Anne Marie had two boys, one named Anthony and one named Jake. And Jake is modeled after Carrie because he is the one who shows Helen to the restrooms. Um, but instead of being killed, he's only kidnapped and then he's hidden in a pile of kindling. Yes. And in the short stories, according to estate lore, the murders are committed by a man, and this is what it says in the book, quote, with a hook like Jack the Ripper. So I took that and ran with it. Oh, yeah. And I'm going into Jack the Ripper. Even though Jack the Ripper didn't have a hook, but... I think he used, didn't he use, like, several things, I thought? I I, I could be making that up. Okay. Different size knives, no hooks. But he, he, Jack the Ripper is pretty accurate. Of a name, hook, not so much. Anyway, um... Jack the Ripper is the nickname of an unidentified serial killer who was active in the Whitechapel district of London in 1888. He was also known as Whitechapel murderer and leather apron. Ted Cruz is a Zodiac killer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, continue. I knew you had to say that. (laughs) Um, Around this time period, there was a large influx of Irish and Jewish immigrants that caused overcrowding in London. This led to the worsening of work and housing conditions and the de- development of a more si- significant economic underclass, which then led to an increase in robbery, violence, and alcoholism, which is one of the like main reasons, I guess, for racial tensions. Mm. Many women turned to sex work. And also just a little side note, I may slip, slip up and call it prostitution because like every single article I read called it prostitution. Yes. But yeah. I'm going to try to call it sex work. Sex work. <laughs> Um, in October 1888, the Metropolitan Police Service estimated there were 62 brothels and 1,200 women working as sex workers in Whitechapel. Between 1886 to 1889, social tensions started to increase, and that is when Jack the Ripper started killing in 1888, right when these tensions were starting to peak. The um, original sex work killer. What? The original sex work killer? Yeah. Is there a sex work killer? No, it's just super common for serial oh, killers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought I was missing a serial killer called the sex work killer. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no it's just really common. It's, it's so like, common. It's fairly easy access. It's, what are they, uh, there's an actual term. If you're, not an easy kill, but they, like, murderers tend to go for people who, like, won't be found or, yeah. like, what is the word Vulnerable. For yeah, but. They call them vulnerable women and men. Yeah, but there's another... I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I can't. I'll probably remember it later on, and I'll probably say it in the next episode. There were 11 murders known as the Whitechapel murders that occurred between April 1888 to February 1891. But there's controversy as to whether all of them were linked to Jack the Ripper, but for sure, five out of 11 are said to be linked to him. And these five include Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine 
Ed Dowes, and Mary Jane Kelly, who are also known as the Canonical Five. Canonical Five? Mary Ann Nichols was the first one who was killed. She was killed on August 31st, and that night she was turned away from the bed that she had been staying in because she didn't have any money to pay for the bed that night. Mm -hmm. So the last thing she said before she was killed, this is really sad, was that she would soon earn the money on the street with the help of her new bonnet. At about 3.40 a.m., she was found lying on the street with her skirt raised. Her throat was slit twice and her abdomen was mutilated with one deep, jagged wound and several other smaller stab wounds. Nope. Five of her teeth were missing and she had a cut across her tongue. Her jaw and right 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 side of her face were covered in circular bruises, which looked to be from a thumb. And she had a four inch incision on her neck right above a circular incision about eight inches in length. What the fuck? I don't know. But he was like just carving them up. Yeah, yeah, doing whatever. Just like playing with the body. Exactly. In early September 1888, Officer Frederick George Aberline started investigating these crimes because Marianne was the first one who was definitely linked to the Ripper, but it wasn't the first one in the series of the Whitechapel murders. Mm. So that's when he really started investigating the crimes. He had worked in this district for 14 years, so he had the knowledge and experience to take charge of the investigation. And he started talking to the sex workers in the area and found out that there was a man nicknamed Leather Apron who was running an extortion racket and threatening to rip them open if they didn't give them their money. The press started sharing the suspect and strongly emphasized the man's supposed Hebrew appearance. And this obviously started anti-Semitism tensions Mm. growing in the area. And then Annie Chapman was found dead on Saturday, September 8th, 1888 at 6 a.m. near a doorway of a backyard that was less than a mile from where Mary Ann Nichols, Mary Nichols was murdered the week before. Her throat had two cuts, her abdomen was slashed completely open, and her uterus was removed. There was How also, does one even know do what that? I don't know. Also, let like, me know I because I would like to get rid of <laughs> I've been trying to get rid of mine for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> asking for a friend how does one do that asking for my and can you do it to yourself safely without dying or i don't even care <laughs> Fuck it. kill me kill me take my uterus there was also a freshly washed apron leather apron found close to her body and shortly after this sergeant william thick one of the investigating officers arrested a man named john pizer 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 saying that he was known as Leather Apron, but Pizer was able to provide solid alibis and was cleared of any involvement in the crimes. Do you think that that was just... I don't know. I think Whoever it was, the killer was had heard these like rumblings have, and was yeah. like, yeah, totally, Totally it's Leather Apron. <laughs> yeah. Yup. Because it's a weird coincidence. Like, It's um, also very obvious. It's so obvious. When you already have somebody that some people are suspecting called Leather Apron and then you just to leave, leave a, a Leather Apron. apron. <laughs> yeah. Not discreet at all. The policemen investigating these crimes collected forensic material and went door-to-door interviewing more than 2,000 people, investigating more than 300, and detaining 80 people in hopes of identifying a suspect. On September 10, 1888, a large group of citizens formed a group called the Mile End Vigilance Committee and elected a local builder named George Lusk as their president. Their goal was to help increase the number of people searching for the killer and they also wanted to raise enough money to offer a significant reward for any information mm. that could help lead them to kill her. You can't say they didn't try. They really tried. Yeah. Like, this was a lot. Because a lot of times, like, now you it, see, like, yeah. investigations where they just didn't have the resources and, like, they couldn't 
Yeah. Either they didn't try hard enough or they couldn't because of the resources. But like this sounds so like much... they like Yeah. Well And was... people are still trying. Oh yeah. It's yeah. still an active thing. And this was in eighteen hundreds. Like they don't have as much of the science that we have today and the technology, but like can the you imagine? manpower. Yeah, can you um, imagine how fast he would have been caught? Oh yeah. Now? Oh yeah. Leaving so much shit I hope behind and like you know? Yeah. At Annie Chapman's inquest, the divisional police surgeon, Dr. George Bagster Phillips, stated that the killer murdered her to take her womb and that the killer must have had some anatomical knowledge because of how quickly and skillfully he removed his victim's organs. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. The uterus. Exactly. And also, like, the circular cuts, like, he did it so that she wouldn't bleed out through her jugular, like... (laughs) Sorry, Ben, she just made a weird noise. And Kenzie sneezed. (laughs) So, like, he did it in a very skilled way. So, it led to the theory that he was a medical man at this... A age. medical man. That is what they said back quote in the day. medical quote man. Quote, unquote, medical man. At this inquest, the coroner... Wine? It's just W-Y-N-N-E. Wine? Win. Win. Baxter revealed that the sub-curator of a pathological museum at a medical school in London approached him with information about an American doctor who said that he would pay him 20 euros for each wound he could give him. What the fuck? I know. So it wasn't him. Like, the theory quickly went away. But that man needs to be, should have been investigated. Yeah. Why are you paying 20 euros for any wound? Yeah, why are you into that? I don't know. That's weird. Very strange. And because of, like, all of the policemen on the street and... The citizens on the street searching for him. I think ever most people think he kind of got a little scared and stopped killing for a little bit because it yeah. was a little time yeah, yeah. Um, and he did not kill again until September thirtieth, eighteen eighty eight, when he killed both Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes in less than an hour. Elizabeth was found in a yard at one a.m. by Louis Diemschutz. She had one. <laughs> I was just trying to play it's that one. Yeah, played it right off. <laughs> She had one large incision on her neck across the main artery, but did not have any mutilations to the abdomen. And this led the police to believe that Louis had interrupted the killer before he could take out her organs. Yeah, because Catherine was found only 45 minutes away. So it made it seem like he was mid-killing her, got caught, panicked, and went to kill this other girl. Yeah, when somebody else. Well, that's bold. Yep. And Catherine's murder was even more violent. Her entire face was mutilated. Her throat was cut, her abdomen was mutilated, and she had with jagged wounds, and her left kidney and uterus were removed. That's so fun. it makes sense that he escalated after being caught and like panicked and like yeah. if he was very ritualistic, which it seems like he needed to do the same thing. And so this made this started the police to patrol the streets, and Officer Alfred Long found a piece of Catherine's apron covered in blood and feces in the doorway of an apartment block. And above it on the wall, there was a message written in chalk and it read, quote, the jewels are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. And jewels, jewels, Jews, sorry, I put an L in there. My bad. Jews. But it's J-U-W-E-S, which made a lot of confusion because it's clear that he's trying to say the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. But... Either he was in a rush and spelled it wrong. I don't not know. Not be blamed. That's like too many. I know, but it's it's negatives. all weird. I don't even know what it means. Even yeah. if it was saying the Jews. Um, but people do think it was meant to write the Jews because sometimes 
women, like they write it as J E W E S mm. for Jewish women. Mm. So it's, they think that he was saying that, but it still doesn't make any sense. No. And then the, the city police want to photograph it because clearly it's an important clue in the investigation. But the Metropolitan Police want to erase it because they knew that it would cause even more racial unrest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were panicked about that. They thought that was more urgent. So they argued back and forth until five in the morning. And then the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Charles Warren, arrived at the scene and he ordered that the message had to be immediately erased and no pictures could be taken at all. What the hell? He justified this decision in a report stating, quote, it was just getting light. The public would be in the streets in a few minutes in a neighborhood that very crowded by Jewish vendors and Christian purchasers from all parts of London. The writing was on the jam of the open archway or doorway visible to anybody in the street and could not be covered up without danger of the covering been torn off all at once. A discussion took place whether the writing could be left covered up or otherwise for an hour until it could be photographed. But after taking into consideration the excited state of the population in London, the strong feeling which had been excited against the Jews, and the fact that in a short time there would be a large concourse of people in the streets and having before me a report that if it was left there, the house was likely to be wrecked, in which, from my own observation, I entirely concurred, I considered it desirable to obliterate the writing at once. I do not hesitate to say that if the writing had been left there, there would have been an onslaught upon the Jews, property would have been wrecked, and lives would probably have been lost. End quote. Which, like, he has a point, but also... I mean, at that point, they probably didn't have Flash. But I'm like, just take, like, you know? Yeah, I think they had Flash, though. I think... Because they said they had to wait until light to take a picture. Oh, maybe it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I don't know. But strange. And that's definitely should have been recorded better. Yeah. Uh, The press then made a letter that had been sent to a London news agency public. It was written in red ink and boasted about what he did to his victims and what he would do to his next victims. He also wrote that the police, quote, won't fix me yet, end quote. He signed the letter Jack the Ripper, which is how he got his nickname. Aye, which aye. also, I mean, it could may not have had anything, to, you know, like anyone could really write that letter. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. So there was a lot of like this, serial killers. People just send fucking letters. They're always like, I did it. Yep. Well, this started an influx of fake letters, yep, which yep. just it was a whole thing and made the investigation even harder. And then. A little bit later on, Mary Jane Kelly was found lying on her bed on Friday, November 9th, 1888 at 10.45 a.m. Her throat was cut down to the spine, her face was covered in cuts, her abdomen was mutilated, and her heart was missing. The murder was so violent that she was basically skinned and therefore completely unrecognizable. Her boyfriend, Joseph Barnett, Barnett was only able to identify her by her eyes and ears. Which, like, how can you identify someone by their ears? Their eyes, though. Their I would eyes, know you yeah, by ears. ears. Could you ears? recognize my ears? Unless you, unless she had something like distinct oh, about her ears, or yeah, or, like, some, yeah, yeah, something like that. So all of these five murders took place at night or extremely early in the mornings. They took place on the weekend and near the end of the month. The murders became more violent as time went on, which showed that the Ripper was escalating. And the similarities of the murders make it possible to conclude that they were all committed by the same person. Because a little bit in the beginning, they were thinking it could be by a different, like a few different people or a few people working together. Because of also when the night of the double murders, the police were patrolling the streets right after the first one. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people were confused on how he could have gotten through, murdered someone so violently, left a message. Without being like suspected or like 
Yeah. Clearly Looking walking creepy, around and somebody being not like, covered in that blood guy don't all. look right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to this day, Jack the Ripper's identity is still unknown. And this meant that there were many theories about him. He even became known as the child's boogeyman. He was depicted as an everyday man with a secret who preyed on unsuspecting victims. And later on, he became the symbol of a predatory aristocracy and was portrayed more frequently as a gentleman in a top hat. And this is similar to how the movie portrayed him as a gentleman who spoke poetically to his victims before killing them. So there's like a few similarities between him and the movie, I think. Mm. Not many, but a good amount. I mean, the violence in it kind of... But that's in the book, at least. It literally said it was committed by a man with a hook like Jack the Ripper. Yeah. So, and this happened before the book was written. So I think that it inspired the book a little bit. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. But even if it didn't, it's extremely interesting. A lot of people, it's like one of the most well-known one, well-known serial killers because it's still unsolved. Like I was going deep, deep, deep into a spiral and I was on all these like forums and blogs. And yeah, stuff, like conspiracy message boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- like there were postings today. Yeah, like, people yeah. Are still oh, people still have theories and they're creating theories yeah. and like it's really and there's a lot of like racial tension theories as well. Yeah, because of like the Jewish part of it mostly, and like nothing happened with this leather apron man. They just found yeah. one suspect and then they're like, oh, it's not him. We're good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. It's strange. It's tough because the 1800s, I mean, it's really hard to. Also, yeah, it's the 1800s. Like, that's yeah. so long ago. There's no, like, <laughs> solid forensics. Yeah. I don't yet. think it's going to be solved. Yeah. I mean, even if they had, like, if they had the evidence still and could run forensics. And accurate evidence, you, too. You're not going to have the fingerprints of the guy. You're not going to yeah. have the DNA of the guy. So you'll never, you might have his DNA. You don't know who he is, though. Exactly. You don't have nothing to match it to. And with how long ago it was, there's so much misinformation and it's just getting like convoluted. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of the messages, message boards have just like completely incorrect information. There were people commenting below being like, where did you get this? Yeah. Yeah. Where did you get, you based your theory off somebody else's theory off somebody else's theory. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're just spiraling. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's Jack the Ripper. And that's the candy man for you. Cool stuff. Cool, cool. Coo coo kachoo. Coo coo kachoo. Yeah. So that's all we got for you this week. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. Share it with your pals. Your pals. Uh, follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can donate to us on our website. Scroll down, hit the donate button. And that's we all I got to plug. Everything. Yeah. We appreciate everything you guys do for us. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. Yep. Peace. Good night.